the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome along to another episode of The Boys of Tech. This is episode 196 for Monday the 17th of December 2012. It also happens to be our very last episode for this year. And we have a couple of guests. So first of all, my name is Edwin Herman coming to you live from our studio in Wellington. And I am joined by one of our regular panellists, Brett King, also in Wellington. Welcome to the show, Brett. Hey, hey. Hey, how are you doing? Good. You're sounding well? Yep. That's a good thing. I'll tell you. <laughs> that was a short answer. It is. <laughs> I'm going to introduce our two guests. First of all, Craig Delaney from the Met Service. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Edwin. Hey, it's our pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm, I'm glad you could make the time. Our second guest is Brian Smith from design company Pixelin. Welcome, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Again, it's truly our pleasure. And you've joined us on this special episode, really, because it's our last one for the year, and we're kind of feeling rather festive, and hopefully everyone's got a, a drink in hand. And if you don't, now's a good time to discreetly yeah. grab one, because, you know, we're on Skype, we can't see what we're doing. Anyway, um, <laughs> Pixelin, by the way, is a design company that uh, obviously has done the new Met Service website, which we're going to kick off the show with. But before we do, I thought we'd just look ahead at a couple of the other stories that we will talk about later on. Apple Maps has been criticised for getting tourists lost in rather remote places of Australia. The best passwords are ones you don't really know, and that will make more sense when we get to that story. And also, a smartphone is being planned, which will have two types of screens. One with e-ink and one your traditional display. So that sounds good. We'll talk about that very soon. First of all, of course, the new Met Service website. Now, I've got to say, Met Service, in fact, I haven't looked this up, but Met Service is, if you like, the national, what was it, national forecasting? What do you call yourselves? Craig, I'll let you answer that. Well, well yes, um, Meteorological Service of New Zealand and, and we're the, um, the, the, the preferred forecaster for uh, for New Zealand, so yes. I like the we, way uh, you said uh, meteorological uh, after a couple of drinks. That that was I can't even say that after yeah. one, after no well, drinks. I'll try spelling it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, so no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to edit that. No. <laughs> I learned to spell it after all these years. So. <laughs> you only just learnt now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, this podcast, of course, is produced in New Zealand, but does go out worldwide. So, so for the benefit of of those outside of New Zealand, uh, as Craig said. Uh, they are pretty much, if you like, the place to go if you want the weather forecast and, in fact, a whole heap of other stuff, current temperatures and wind speeds and other meteorological data for New Zealand. Now, the website itself ranks what, actually? I was going to look that up, and I haven't done that. Does anyone know the answer to that? Or should we take a yeah, quick I, visit to alexa.com? Oh, go, go ahead then. Well, um, we've, we've got better stats than that. We use Nelson. Oh, yes. So yep, um, yep, all, okay. our, all our web pages are... Um, are um, tagged the same with the, like the Herald stuff, extra TVNZ. So we're actually bigger than TVNZ.co.nz. We rank about six in um, New Zealand, and that we have is... about 150,000 unique browsers a day to the website. Wow, that is wow. good. Number six is that is really good. I, I was going to I was going to guess maybe maybe ten or twelve or something like that, but um, yeah, that's really good. So, yeah. what's number one? Is it Google? Is it? Um, yes, yeah, so, so Google and Facebook are up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're right up there. And I must say, I, I do visit that site several times a day. And and I noticed and I noticed a change, and this is why we're here to, to talk about it. In fact, I noticed that before the change, because well, you know, we'd got around that there's hey, there's a new site that's in beta, and I went to it, and I was blown away. It was it was very different. Yeah, no, we've um, it's been three years since we did, did the last redesign. And um, in those three years, we've added a considerable amount of data. So there's like all our videos. You know, um, Dan Corbett, he now features quite heavily on our website. He's the the weather um, guy on your doing your TV. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so I mean, it, it's you know, how do you incorporate that Met TV into into the current design? So you know, we to consider that, and there's a whole lot of historical data now and and regional forecasts. So, and in our minds, it was getting quite tired. People just couldn't find information. So, you know, our job is to educate people and to get them to go sort of further into the site. And um, you can only really do that by a redesign so that was our sort of thinking three years on and in, a, in the last couple of years you know we've, we've got our ipad out there and six months ago we um, launched our smartphone apps and pe- people consumed weather differently now it's a lot more visual a lot more contextual so we sort of took our learnings from the smartphones and the ipads and the la- all the data we've added for the last three years and um you, you get on your design now, I was going to go to the technical stuff a little bit later, but you did mention iPads, and I do, there is a burning question I've got because you're, um, at least on, on this desktop browser that I'm using, Safari, the Met Service TV that uh, Dan Corbett does, the video for that, is I noticed it was done in Flash. So how does that work? Now, I know you've got apps for iPad and, and, uh, and iPhone, but if they go to the website, how does that work? And this might, I don't know if this is a question for you, Brian, but how does that work for iPads and iPhones because it's in Flash? Sure. Um, we use a provider called Brightcove, um, who serves all of the video up um, for the site. And they put an HTML5 wrapper. They, they context, uh, contextualize and, and uh, sense different uh, browsers and platforms. And so they'll serve up HTML5 on tablets and on phones. And uh, up on the website, it reverts back to Flash if Flash is enabled. Well, the obvious question that flows on from that is why not just leave it as HTML5? Do you know why they why they don't do that? Or is that not something you can answer? Back it's not something I could really... Yeah, it's probably that. And uh, I mean, Breakhove is uh, a service that a lot of people subscribe to. It's one that uh, Met Services decided to go with. And it's just the way that their platform works currently. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So it's accessible on all those devices. And by the way, I noticed also... Craig, your uh, logo has changed as well. And did that coincide with the site redesign or was that completely separate? Yeah, so we're all completely separate. So we've gone through a rebranding exercise, but it was um, timely that we, we were launching our website. So we sort of went more public with it with the um, website launch. Right, because it looks like a cross between the old logo and Air New Zealand. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does, actually, yeah. With the Koru, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's two hammerhead sharks, actually. Ah, is that, uh, right? is that the, uh, okay. I see that, yeah. Okay, I, I, I yeah. see it now too. <laughs> so we um, we we're, um, have an international arm of Met Service called Metra. So we um, so the TV shows that we do in New Zealand, if you watch TV1 or TV3 and they do the flybys up in the country, Met Service actually produces those. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and we also um, produce them for um, most of the, the channels, um, the TV stations in Australia. And we also run the graphics engine for the BBC over in the UK. Is I had no idea. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, I mean, we, we've, um, we're, we're pretty significant, well, um, a, a big player overseas. And, and so the branding is to keep our New Zealand roots, but um, also to be recognisable overseas. I'm so glad that uh, the logo is two hammerhead sharks and not like two New Zealand planes <laughs> dogfighting or something up there. No. <laughs> Getting blown around by the wind as they yeah. come to land in yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Arriving in Wellington, exactly. Oh, there's some, hairy, some really hairy flights into Wellington. We all know that, don't we? We're all from Wellington, aren't we? Yes. I was just saying before the show, we all should have gone and had a, set up a temporary studio somewhere in one of the bars in town and, and uh, done a show that way. Well, the nice thing about you could take a weekly show from a bar, you know, you, you could just have a little Southern Cross or something, get yourself in a corner and get a little following. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come on, Ed, I like that well, idea. The, 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 only pro- <laughs> the only problem I can see is the, the distraction. I'd, I'd be drinking and forgetting to podcast. <laughs> and suddenly before you know it, it's, be it's even 11 more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there is that, isn't there? <laughs> we'll have to try that sometime. Uh, so now the so the new website I noticed uh, in your blog on on the Met Service blog you've given us sort of a summary of, of of what's new and you've also given us a synopsis of that just just now. 
And it, it occurred to me as I was looking at the site over the week, there's a lot in there. In fact, there's there's more. The, the more I look, the more I the more new stuff I see. Um, it feels like oh. I, I'm uncovering, unpeeling a, an onion. You know, there's so much information on your site to suit all sorts of different people. I mean, I, I think you've got data, raw data, surface data. I think you call it for pilots and other people in aviation and stuff like that. You've got the um, marine. Um, you've got beach and uh, surf that you've just added. There's a whole heap of stuff in there. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're the biggest rural website in New Zealand, so all the farmers obviously come on for the weather. In winter, we're the biggest snow website in New Zealand, and and with the surf and beach, we're probably the biggest you know surf and, and beach section in New Zealand, and obviously biggest weather. So we we have to sort of cater for all those uh, those users. So when you were thinking about how to put all these different parts of the site together on the website, who was that kind of left up to? To Brian at Pixelin, or was that is that kind of something that you had some uh, Craig that at uh, the med service you had some firm ideas about yourselves? Yeah, we probably had some pretty firm ideas. I mean, we live and breathe the weather, and and it's full of passionate people, and everyone's you know willing to offer advice, and everyone's you know willing to chip in. So. You know, we know we know the users, and we go up to the field days up in Mystery Creek. So we go and talk to the farmers, and then we go to the boat shows, and we talk to them. And you know, some of our forecasters go talk to federated farmers. So, so we sort of merge ourselves in the community. So we do have a, a good understanding of of what people want. And actually, I can um, I can vouch for that because I was on Twitter when when the website went went live, and. I tweeted to to Met Service saying that it's you know great site and uh, I can't remember what I said sort of you know like great work or something, and I believe it's Nicola, isn't it the main person behind that Twitter feed? Is that right? Nicola? Yes, yeah, and Nicola, we've got two two people there, Jackie and Nick, and uh, you know they they sort of monitor the Facebook and Twitter and and you know people send us in photos of the day and and um, you know the weather just touches people's lives, so you need someone there to to respond. Well, I was actually impressed that I, you know, I got a response. And the same thing when I think you did, I don't know if it was a complete redesign, but there was something very different anyway that happened to your website. Was it three three years ago or so? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. We had over um, a thousand people email in <laughs> and Nicola replied to every single one of them. <laughs> I heard <laughs> about that. It was amazing. It took like a week and a half and people like were amazed that someone took the time to reply. Mm, I know I was too because I asked the question I remember that three years ago when that happened I noticed that one of the bits that was lost was the I think that the 24 the last 24 hours I think the the high and the low temperature you know in the 24 hours since 9 a.m and so I wrote that on the on the on Twitter and you know I, I got a response very quickly I think within the hour I got a response saying yep well that'll be coming soon and I'm like whoa someone actually <laughs> responded at the Met Service what's what's with that? Yeah and no, it's one of the things that I really enjoy about working with Met Service is that they do have these communities that follow them and as Craig pointed out people are just so passionate about it and you know people are if you follow the Met Service Twitter feed um, people are just tweeting all, all the time and as a, a designer it's actually given us a lot of great opportunities to use their um, Twitter feed and also their Facebook channel to actually put up uh, mocks up, mock up of designs, proposed designs, to try things out, run them by people, um, you know, and get some real feedback from people before we put things out. And at the end of the day, that's a win-win for everyone, right? Because then you get, you know, you're able to deliver what people want. It's really great. It's and uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, you know, like Craig said, the med service is full of really passionate people inside that that know their business and know what they want, and you know, it's great to be able to find. A balance in between of uh, of how the users respond to things and how their community responds to things, and also be able to serve the needs of the business too. So I'm going to have to ask this: Who came up with the midnight blue? On that one, I mean, we, um, you know, we, we we've tried we tried lots of different things, and we, um, you know, had pictures of clouds, and uh, and what we're trying to do is, is sort of make the site every day an everyday site. So if you came in and Came in in the morning, there's traffic cams, and you come in the afternoon, there's webcams, and you come in the evening, there's video. And if it's fine, we'll show you rain forecast graphics, and if it's wet, we'll show you rain radar. So, so there's a lot going on. So we we didn't really need to make a big deal of the background. I mean, we could have put the photo of the day in or something. So navy blue was was the 
yeah, if I could color, just, you know, if I, if I could just yeah. pick that up, it's a, you know, when the, with the rebranding, we had some new colors to work with from the, from the palette. Um, and uh, yeah, as Craig mentioned and Edwin, actually you brought it up, mate, that's a, um, you say you, you visit the site a couple times a day mm. and that's really what this new site is about. You look at the old version of the site, um, as great as it was and as well loved as it was and well received as it was, you know, you could go onto it and, you know, if the weather changed, you didn't even really know that anything had happened. Like I, I always go back to last year whenever we had that big snow here in Wellington. Um, you know, it was a, a hundred year event came out of nowhere and suddenly we had snow all around yeah, that's right. know, the, mm. the, the foothills here. And you go to the site and you really wouldn't have any idea that um, that had happened, you know, <laughs> it's because it, it was a, a static interface. So what we really challenge ourselves to do um, on this particular version of the site is really to work with um, all the things that we have that can add context and time of day change. And so, you know, we brought a lot of information that was already on the site and we kind of surface it up based on time of day and based on different conditions. Um, and so with that, we, we, we knew we wanted something that kind of helped focus people as well. So that big, bold color actually helps really focus the attention in on the center of the page and really focuses the eye's attention on um, the parts of the page that we really think deserve a lot of attention, namely the the forecast information and the the hourly uh, forecasts that yep. are so great for people to get to. Yeah, I think that works really well, actually. And I noticed one of the things you've added that you I think you were kind of referring to earlier was uh, the severe weather warnings. Now you've got that big red warning bar, haven't you? Which is obviously in a very stark contrast to the to the midnight blue. Yeah, the, the warnings have always been there. In fact, the warnings are. Um, one of the the, the key things that uh, uh, MetService provides uh, to the country, and they, they believe me, the people at MetService take those warnings very seriously, and we we test them to no end before we do anything to the site. And they were actually on the old site, um, but in the presentation on the old site, which we thought was great three years ago, they were in a part of the page that people just got a bit banner blind to, and we thought, well, you know what, we could do two things. One. We could not show them when there isn't anything, and we could do a better job of alerting you whenever there is something that you need to to pay attention to. So, so right now, does it does it do you still get that red bar if there are no warnings? No, we're looking at Wellington. It's a beautiful Wellington evening, no wind at all, typical well Wellington night, and there's nothing, uh, no red bar in place. There's just a nice light gray bar mm. that's no warnings in place for Wellington. Oh, I see. Now on the home page. There are that uh, it, b- before you select any town or city, you do get that bar. Now, presumably, is that because there are warnings for other areas? Is that how yeah. it works? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, there's you've got to think about it. We're all land lovers here, but you know, there's marine warnings. You know, so what might look like a nice sunny day, you know, in Wellington, Cook Strait might be blowing a gale. So, right. Um, but most of the, well, 85 percent of people go through to a town or city. You know, so. If you live in Wellington, you look at Wellington. If you're in Auckland, you look at Auckland. So the homepage is really only a, th- only a through page to the data that you want to get to. Right, right. So, you know, so so when you're in Wellington, if there isn't a warning, then no, there's no red strip. If there is a warning, then there is a strip and, and you get to see it. And, and um, you know, we've, we've done our job. We need to, to tell people and show people, you know, that, that, that there is a warning in their area. And that strip works really well on the smartphones that we did, that we launched six months ago. So we're just taking that behaviour oh, right, um, nice. into the yep. website. Yep. Because you know you got to think you got your smartphone. How do you communicate your warnings? And so we just got this nice red bar that comes across. People know there's a warning. So we, we, in a way, we're trying to um, um, keep all our all our channels the same. So if you look at MetService phone or your MetService website or MetService iPad. Behaviors are all the same, so it works. Judging by the people saying that the red hurts their eyes, we've done we've done too good a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it works really well, and in fact, I think that that sort of thing has been adopted by some of the. I think the is it the Herald and stuff. I think use yes. that, that for breaking yeah. news kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a universal color. It's a universal position, um, and it and and it's. It does a job, you know, and people haven't been haven't seen it before. And yes, we've had to put it in the middle of the page, and some people, obviously, you know, it, it might be a distraction, but it's it's a distraction that you know we're prepared to uh, to, to put put in front of people. 
Now, I also noticed, now I don't know if this is new or not, I, I guess you guys can, uh, Brian and Craig, you can tell me, there are ads on the website. Is that new, or is that been, was that also on the old site? I mean, I'm, I'm watching one right now, it's, um, it's for Meridian, with that silly reindeer thing. Yeah, no, we, um, the ads have always been there. Have they? Um, they just yeah, seem, no, I've, I've, I don't know why, but I've only just noticed them on the new site, and I, maybe they were easier to tune out on the old site, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's probably people are just looking a bit deeper in, at the website now, you know, and sort of looking looking at looking at everything that's there. But no, the adverts have been there for um for seven years now, as long as I've been oh, right. I mean, ultimately, you know, the government doesn't pay us to um, put snow reports on the website. So um, and all this, the the cameras that go along with it. So um, advert advertisements help us fund um, all the new content. Um, that we put on the site. So, for example, um, Dan Corbett and all the uh, um, service TV videos. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've had to um, get a studio up, studio up at the Met Service, and then and they're not cheap, you know. And, and so that's something we have to do. And advertising pays for that, and we'll, we'll have, yeah. it goes a long way to um, to pay for that. Yeah, and I know how precious your space is up there because I was looking at renting a a small space up there to run my radio station and uh, they gave me a price but it was way out of what I could afford and that was the end of that it was probably a fair price but uh, yeah so instead I got a, a, some free space at the uh, in, uh, what is it the business incubator next door in return for a oh, yeah, yeah. sort of a, a contra sort of deal but that was some yeah, years ago it's a nice, ago. Spot, it's a nice spot there mm, yeah, yeah nice. and in fact you know overlooking the the city across to the other side uh, Eastbourne uh, you can see out to Petrini right as, as you I'm sure as you well know yeah. We have a great new Wellington webcam that, that looks out just over that view, eh, Craig? Yeah. Oh, now i gotta, yeah. I got to see that. So this will be a good test to see how, how easy it is to find. <laughs> we don't find the webcams. I don't even know. Oh, maps and no. Uh, towns and cities, maybe? Well, I'll tell you what, the easiest thing to do, and this is something that we've, we've again, tried to work pretty hard on the site with, if you just go to the Wellington page, and this goes for Chrysler, Auckland, Queenstown, Christchurch, there's heaps of places that have these cams. Uh-huh. But the Wellington one, if you just scroll down before the very controversial ah, blue box, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a nice big Wellington webcam um, image. And and now you see that there's a section on the site that's just labeled maps, radars, and videos. Yeah, gotcha. And on the old site, those were all static tiles, basically. They were just little um, JPEGs uh, trying to get people to click into things. And so oh, what we've done now? with the new version of the yeah. site, all of this stuff is the latest oh. images. So. You know, looking at Wellington, you know, we've got the rain radar there, and that's the latest still from uh, the rain radar pass and the latest still from the uh, latest rain forecast pass and even the latest still from the uh, Lyle Bay surf cam. I so like all I, the stuff that, that you're seeing is up to date and changing all the time. And I really like the way when you click on uh, uh, the webcam, I don't know if it works for the other tiles, but when you click on the webcam, you can sweep across with your mouse and it does a time lapse. Yeah, no, we... we that's um, really cool. Yeah, we work with a company called Snap at IT, um, and we've got about 35 of their cameras. Um, we've probably got over 100 webcams on our site, probably the biggest webcam uh, provider in New Zealand. More than NZTA, do you think? Um, yeah, because we've got most of their – well, we've got all their cameras, um, but yeah. we've also got all the surf cams from surf.co. We've oh, also got course, all yeah. the, um, the snow, snow cams from snow.co. Um, and we've got all those time series ones that you've got there. So, yeah, no, I'd be pretty confident that we'd have probably 150 there and, and, oh, wow. and um, be bigger than yeah. So there, it's that kind of stuff that you really need to redesign your site for people can find stuff. You know, it's all very well having all that there, but if, if no one can see the Dan videos or people don't can't find the webcams, you sort of wasted your time. So, Brian, yeah. did you have a lot of input into that side of things, like, you know, advising yeah. the best way to, you know, or some options yeah. for laying and, out the site? And Craig, Craig is, you know, Craig, we, we've worked together for a number of years now, and I think we have a pretty good uh, way of working, and he'll throw us some challenges. He'll say, hey, this is the kind of thing that we want to achieve. You know, here's a list of 10 things that we want to achieve. Um, and, you know, how are we going to go about doing it? And he'll let us get on with that work. And then... He and other people up at MedService on his team become really active participants in the design process. And I personally love that. Um, there's a lot of great back and forth that makes a better result. So those, those traffic cams 
are, are a perfect example of, of that, of the, just the whole concept of the site, really, you know, the, and how I've been using the site, too, now that it's gone live. Because you can design these things or think about these things, but then when it actually goes live, you start seeing everything kind of flowing together, you know, and it's Monday morning. I don't want to get up and go to work. It's drizzling out or it's raining out, and I log on to the site. I have a look at it, and I see, yep, here's what the hourly forecast is doing. Oh, and then right up at the very top of the page, right next to the forecast, there's the traffic cam for Wellington. You know, I can just grab into that and have a quick look at what it's doing in the gorge and think about what my, my commute's going to be. Look, I've got to confess, I had no idea until just recently that the traffic cams were on there because I always <laughs> used to go to, well, I think it was in NZTA, I think? or Yeah, no, yeah that's right. Yeah. NZTA. Yeah, so, you know, what's what's the motorway like at the moment? Oh, yeah, now's a good time to go in. And, you know, I usually start late, finish late, suits me. But, you know, if, if, the, uh, if the motorway's running freely, usually on a Friday, uh, uh, I could go in a bit earlier. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. You know, those, we had all this great content um, and people were, were, were going into the site and they were grazing across the top of the site. But I think Craig knew and I knew that and a lot of other people knew that there was so much more that people could be getting mm. out of the site. And, you know, we just had the opportunity to look at how we were serving up that content um, and, you know, give it to them in a bit more dynamic way. And really drive their behavior to to try to get in a, into the site a little bit deeper and explore a little bit more. And I think you've achieved that really well because even when the beta site uh, was up, uh, and I'd I'd use that as my regular you know check, and I would find stuff without even trying, uh, right. you know, that I wouldn't know was there otherwise. Hmm. The thing, the only thing I disagree with is the layers of clothing. You know, you can be down to like thirteen degrees, two layers. No way. I need three at least, possibly four. Come on, what's with that? You got one for the most talked about pieces of um, content on the site. And, you know, you wouldn't believe the amount of emails we get (laughs) that people say, how hot does it have to be? um, Zero degree, zero layers of clothing. Um, We also get people people emailing and they're saying, does underwear count as one layer? (laughs) (laughs) You you get those emails for real? We absolutely do. It's amazing. Oh it? man! Amazing. So we, we, we've got we've got that content, and and another thing that um I I was really glad that we were able to um, get into the final build. It, it kind of just made it in through the beta. Was we we have this um extreme weather extreme scoreboard, which is just great. It's it's um you know it shows the hottest, coldest, wettest, and windiest places just, in the country. I was going to get onto that because yeah, yeah, that is cool. my that was I'm going to save that for last because I was going to say that is honestly. My favorite part, and I'm looking at it now. Kelvin Wellington is the windiest of the country once again. Oh yeah! Oh, Kaikoura has lost its place. Yeah, Kaikoura is second. And yeah, I must admit though, uh, New Plymouth Airport's up there quite a bit. I don't know if you guys know. Yeah, Pampran's quite windy. Oh, is it? Like they try and keep that quiet. Yeah, yeah, they do. You ask people who live there, they wouldn't mention a word of it, would they? Yeah, absolutely. It's always sunny up the coast. It's always sunny up the coast. Actually, is, you know what? I was having a discussion about that was with some people that live up the coast, and I was I logged on to Met. This is uh, about a year ago, and I logged logged on to to Met Service to see if I could get some stats on that. Do you guys actually has anyone done that? Does anyone know for sure? Is it sunnier up at Paraparam than it is in Wellington? Well, I lived in Raumati for five years, and of course, it's always sunny. <laughs> yeah, whilst you were there, it was right. Exactly. <laughs> it was always sunnier. Can't well. give an unbiased opinion for the place that you live. I want some cold hard uh, facts and stats. That's no, what I okay, want. So, um, the cold hard fact is um, the information is provided by Niwa. So, if you went onto their website, you'd be able to find that. Oh, so. they would have that, would they? All right, yeah. I'll, so I'll, I'll do that later what, and have that uh, discussion or perhaps <laughs> argument with, <laughs> with those relevant people. Conversation about the yeah. local Wellington geography for your international listeners. <laughs> oh yes, I'm just thinking our international listeners right now are going like, okay, what are they talking about? Where are they talking about? Um, yeah, exactly. But no, look, honestly, just, the school- um, I mean, just to add in there, Edwin, that um, we've got a pretty good relationship with Pixlin. They designed our website three years ago. They did our mobile site two years ago, and this year they've done the smartphone apps. So we do sort of trust them and let them sort of come up with ideas. We just tell them our problems, and they they offer up solutions. So it's it's um, it's been a great great relationship. And that's how you get the best results, isn't it? At the end of the day. But yeah, the scorecard's got to be my favourite part. Absolutely, I do check it. I check the hottest and windiest almost every day. 
Yeah, and, and it's good for those competing towns, you know, like Napier versus Hastings. And, oh, yeah. And Blenheim versus Nelson, you know. So yeah. It's quite amazing that there's so many little pieces of info that people really appreciate about the site. And, yeah. it, can, and it can be the littlest thing. You know, some some guy wanted um, us to put hourly humidity because um, – or pressure, because when the pressure drops, the fish start jumping, and the, the, it's good for the trout fishing, apparently. Oh, I see, yeah, yeah. Did so, you, did you um, go ahead? You know, is, yeah. that, is that in the planning? Is that going ahead, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, um, we're looking at probably um, forecasting layers of clothing. We're, we're, we're always looking at um, enhancements, and people ring us up um, and ask for additional info. We we check all the international websites to see what's um, happening over there. So, yeah, we're, we're always adding new content. Now, you just about said uh, humidity. Do you, just on that note, do you put in humidity information up or is that not you guys? Yeah, no, there's, there's, um, there's a real-time humidity reading on the site. So under your uh, layers of I found clothing. It, found so it. The, yep. yep, just yep. found it. Brilliant. Yep. Nice. Yeah, that that yeah, the la- under the layers of clothing thing that I disagree with because I always need to add one. <laughs> sometimes two. I, I don't know where that. You've got obviously the forecaster is sitting in a nice air conditioned heated office, and that that's I think biasing his his, his or her uh, uh, analysis. So that's what I think. <laughs> but, you know, and ultimately the meat, the meat service and that weather forecast decides what people wear. You know, if if, if the forecast is twenty four degrees and and fine and no wind and people will dress appropriately. You know, if we say it's going to be 12 degrees and raining and windy, then people, you know, we, we actually just, well, we don't decide, but, you know, we, we have a major impact on what people wear every day. And you know what? With with good reason, because, you know, I remember, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but you'll get a day which is beautiful sunny weather in the morning, and within a couple of hours, it's drizzle and there's a southerly and it's mm. cold. And, you know, I, I remember it just being at work, in fact, and I dressed for that weather that was going to come up, i.e. the cold southerly with drizzle. And so here was I at the right time with my, you know, with my jacket on and, and whatnot. And these people, obviously other people had not checked the forecast. They're dressed in their summer dresses and summer T-shirts and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you didn't check the forecast, did you? Well, hopefully that's something that will, with the, with the new design, that'll come up even more because we've really incorporated that hourly forecast information. Yeah, I, I see right that, Right in yeah. with the daily mm. forecast, so... Mm. You know, fortunately for the, you know, running up to Christmas, we've gained this great weather. But, you know, later in the week, next week, when we start getting a little bit of rain and that part of the page will really light up and become a lot more dynamic. Take the wind speed, for example. Now, you give that in kilometers an hour. Was there any yeah. decision as to what units you were going to use, whether you'd use knots or kilometers per hour? Or was that always just assumed it would be in kilometers per hour? Um, um, if it's in the marine, it's in knots, and if it's in the um, towns and cities, in case um, there's, there's probably a meteorological reason why. <laughs> I mean, probably more people understand kilometers an hour than knots. Yeah, I mean, kilometers suits late, me. I just wondered. Layman. I just wondered whether because uh, didn't years ago? I could be wrong. Unless you're nautical, in which case you don't. Yeah, but I could. <laughs> I, I, I might be mistaken. Yeah, that's right. I might be mistaken though. But I thought some years ago. That uh, all the wind speed, and I'm talking about like good ten years ago or more, that all wind speeds, you know, land or sea, were always given in knots. Because I remember thinking back then, thinking, why do they always say knots? I have no idea what they mean. Would that, would that be well, right, or am I, am I not remembering correctly? Been there seven years, so um, if, if your memory goes back ten years, you're probably bang on. Well, this is the thing. I'm not sure if it does. I bet we can check. I'll check and get. I'll get back to you tomorrow on that one. I've always been really impressed with the way that the forecasters over the years, you know, the three or four years that I've been working with these guys, um, they've become much more, I, I think, user-friendly to some degree. You know, in the in the early days, there were some very dense language and warnings and disclaimers about, you know, how things were uh, predicted and whatnot all over the site. And, you know, over the years, it's become a lot friendlier and a lot more uh, simpler and, and cleaner to, to understand. So I don't know, maybe that change to kilometers is just that following Part that, of that yeah, making things a little bit more easy for for normal people to figure out. So, so speaking of which, actually, Brian, have you, given that you've worked with, uh, with MedService for a number of years, have you actually learned to read meteorological data yet? <laughs> I would say I'm an expert at it. We've got some guys at our office, our developers, who have to deal with the data feeds directly, who are, are pretty darn good at it. 
Um, but I think I can down <laughs> with the with the rain radars at least. I, I can just figure out when it's going to rain. So. Yeah. That's impressive because I must admit, I'm one of these, when it comes to whether I'm like really dumb, I'm just like, whatever you say, metservice.com, I'll, I'll, I'll believe you and I don't need to read stuff. I want you to interpret it for me. And, that, and let's face it, the, the, the site does a good job of that. I mean, already I can tell that, that later today, it's going to reach 20 degrees, uh, 16 overnight, so I don't need to worry too much about the overnight temperature. It's going to be, you know, and uh, I can read more into that if I want. It, that's how I like it, you know. But there are people, and I, I work with someone who, who also likes the uh, the rain radar, and he'll he'll read those little bars and wind direction thingies, and he'll go, oh, so this is going to bring. And I'm like, that's too much. I don't need that. I don't know why you, he even so, bothers. So you're you're 100 right there. When and and I use the test, and we used optimal usability in, in Wellington. Um, there's two different users that come to Met Service. Um, someone who just wants to know what the weather's doing tomorrow. What are I wear? Do I walk? That's it, you know, real simple. And so the design, less those maps from um, the previous design, just shows it really clear. And then there's those people who actually want more from the weather, whether they're in the, the enthusiast or um, they've got an outdoor business or they're a farmer or, or um, they're just that way inclined. And hence it strip of data which gives them full access to any rain radars or, or the isobar maps so yeah there's those two people and the, and the new design caters for um, both their needs yeah i noticed actually it does seem to span a, a very wide uh technical level if you like uh, um yeah so and, and that's exactly what you're saying isn't it i think one of my my favorite features is one of those things that it really helps um span across those two audiences and that's when you go over into the, the the maps and radars, we you know we've built a simple player now to play through all of the different images within the um, forecast sequence. So you know you can just let these things play, and you can see the weather kind of moving in, moving out. And this is a simple touch; you can scrub across it. You know, it's a scrubber control as well. And so for people who you know are really geeky and can get in and really understand what those wind barbs are doing. You know, it gives them a little bit more visual thing to kind of play with. And for normal people, I think it just normal people for average people, <laughs> um, it might give them, you know, a little bit better understanding of, oh, hey, that that animation, I get it. That 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 stuff is moving across the country in that direction. It becomes a little bit less abstract. All right. Well, guys, I think that's a fantastic change. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, uh, you know, this is, of course, as we talked about earlier, number six website in New Zealand, highly visited. And uh, by the sounds of the feedback you're getting, uh, looks like I think you both agree you've done the right thing. So, Craig, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Edwin. Great. It's been uh, my pleasure. All right. And good luck with uh, any future changes uh, to the website. Brian, also likewise, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, too. It's been our pleasure having you both on the show. And now, so Brian, you keen to stick around and have a chat? Yeah, I'll stick around for the rundown. Great. Excellent. Let's do that. All right, now on to Apple. Brett, you brought the story up. Apple, <laughs> Apple, of course, has uh, been heavily criticised for its terrible mapping application in iOS 6. Yeah, yeah. And so the latest thing is what? People are getting stranded in remote parts of Australia where there's no food and water, is that right? Exactly. People travelling to um, um, from Melbourne to Mildura are being directed through a sparsely populated, sparsely roaded and sparsely travelled um, desert. Sounds dangerous to me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, many people have been rescued <laughs> from a, inside this desert. Is this for real or is this a media beat up? No, it's for real. Such that the Australian police have warned travellers off using <laughs> have they Apple's really? iPhone mapping That's software. Terrible. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> As their GPS tracking thing for this in situation. Well, the good news is, of course, is Google has released its uh, iPhone Maps app. And Indeed it, it has. And oh it's my number God. one, isn't it? It's number Finally, one. yes. Released <laughs> it and nice then boom, straight to the top. <laughs> Who's got an iPhone here? I know Brett has. Brian, do you have an iPhone? Yes, I do. I do. It's, it's, it's a really nice app. They've done a, a very nice uh, oh, job on bringing it all back. So you're obviously, I was going to, the next question I was going to ask is whether you're on iOS 6 and I take it you are or? Yeah, I've been running iOS 6 for, well, since the, the uh, developer um, releases. So, um, you know, the, the mapping issues, uh, do a lot of them apply to New Zealand? Like in your use of the, the Apple's maps, were, were they all right or were they 
just as bad well, as what we hear in the news. We, we have a, a, an estuary not far from where I live, and it's still marked as land. So rather than water. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Land. <laughs> okay, so, it's bad. Yeah, it, it is still not good. <laughs> yeah, you, you can take that for what it's worth. Uh, well, it, it, it shows you how bad globally Apple's own mapping software is that, you know, the, the moment that Google Maps, uh, Google produced their map app and released it, it became number one. Yeah, it says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> Downloaded I mean, millions of times. <laughs> this shows just how far ahead Google is in oh, terms yeah. of and how difficult it would be for anybody, let alone Apple, to come in and try to catch up as quickly as they obviously tried to. And I think heads, yeah. heads did roll in Apple, didn't they, over that? Indeed. Indeed. The, uh, the, or is it the guy who ran the department who was who worked on the maps. I forget who now, but I, I yeah, I do remember reading Resigned. a story. That, yeah, that's right. And I, I think we can read a bit more into into that than, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was asked to take the fall. <laughs> of course, we, yeah, I, I think that's what they said anyway. That's the way it was presented in the news anyway. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, mm, let's just use so, Google Maps. So mapping relief has been has been delivered to iPhone users at long last. Yay. Okay, now new research shows that there are ways of getting people to store passwords in their subconscious. So in other words, if they were to be asked what the password is, they wouldn't know. But by using a technique and a, some sort of interactive app on the computer you can actually get the person to effectively punch in that password in some sort of fashion without them even knowing. So let me give you an example of how this works. So it's kind of hard to explain, but research from Stanford goes something like this. So they developed a little game where there are columns and little balls drop down the various columns. The columns are labeled against a letter each. Each of them has a unique letter. So basically, balls drop, and I think they're supposed to identify the you know hit the uh, the key corresponding to the to the uh, the column in which the ball is dropping, and this repeats for a long time. I think was it hundreds? A very long time, like thirty to forty five minutes. You have to play <laughs> yeah, this game exactly. And eventually, now the thing is, it's not random. This is the whole thing. It's not random. There is actually a sequence that it it teaches your subconscious, and you actually end up sort of almost preempting these things without even knowing it. And using mm-hmm. a similar technique, you can get people to obviously come out with that with that uh, sequence. So really, if you think about it, this would really be the ultimate situation where someone is able to, you know, you're able to get a password out of someone, you know, a series of keystrokes out of someone, but only in a manner that, you know, that brings it out of them like this. And if you were to ask them or interrogate them, what is that passcode? Or what is the, the sequence of keys you have to punch in? They wouldn't be able to tell you. I see several flaws with this. Uh, the first being that their results themselves showed that 71% of people were able to, well, 71% of people displayed a greater affinity for the sequence that they had pre-learned than, than generic sequences. So that still means that only three out of four times you're actually going to be able to log in and the rest of the time you're going to be locked out. The other one is that you're going to have to have some kind of app which throws these ball bits down at you for you to put in the sequence, which means that the computer itself is already broadcasting to the outside world what the sequences are. Yeah, but I think it would only... So how do you, how do you I, get I to I'm, remember I'm, that to put it into your password? You play a game which tells you what it is because the whole point is the fact that yeah, but you don't know what the sequence is. Sequences. You don't know what the sequence. Yeah, you don't know what the sequence is, but the computer is presenting all of the sequences to you, which means that all you need to do as a person attempting to breach that password is get all of the sequences that the app is, or you know, that that thing is presenting to the person, and then play back all of those sequences until you get the right one. It'd be. Super simple to brute force. <laughs> sure, I couldn't ask you what the password is because you wouldn't know it, but your computer terminal is telling you what the password is by getting you to guess it. Yeah, it seems like it's trying to solve a problem of, of not so much security, but people actually not being able to remember Reveal. the password. Yeah. You know, that, that, that by trying to build it into your subconscious, that makes it easier to somehow you know, bring out 
rather than you know having it written on a post-it on the side of your desk. So this could replace those security question type things where oh, you know, if, you've, if you've forgotten your password, or perhaps you can even add to it as like you two-factor if you wanted, but it would take, I suppose it would take a while. But you know, those security well, you, questions that you, you need also, to answer if you can't remember your password, this could, could take the place, right? Well, after the 20 Indeed. minutes I spent struggling with a, a CAPTCHA on Twitter yesterday, I, I wouldn't mind something like this. <laughs> Some of them are really but, hard. But this is yeah. still five to 10 minutes worth of your time each yeah. time you attempt to log onto your computer. Well, it, well, if it's only because you've forgotten the password, it's only when you forget the password. Uh, if it's two-factor, then then yeah, that wouldn't be so good. Well, no, the point of this is that it replaces your password entirely. Mm. It becomes your password. Your password is this password you don't remember. Well, I mean, this, the, the, it depends how you employ this. So this is, ju- this is just a concept that they've come up with. I mean, you, you could implement this any way you like. I mean, I could implement this. I think it's Stanford yeah. research is having far too much grant money to play with. <laughs> you know, how can we make people remember random stuff doing rote memory, which is what we've known for ages? That's why you get stuff drummed into you in well, primary school and high school. Well, you know the Android, Repeating stuff over and over and over again well, you know until the, it becomes the, second nature. That's the whole point of it. You do it so many times in different sports. Sports and martial arts are all about rote learning until it's second nature, until you do it without thinking. Well, that's why I think the Android password thing is, is quite good. You know, they don't have the, the keypad. It's like a pattern that you have to draw because you can't, mm. you can't accidentally divulge it. You know, you'd have to go like top left, down to bottom right, across, down, up, diagonally, top right. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't accidentally give that out. And I've had the oh. chance to play with a Microsoft Surface over the past week or so. And, you know, the, the picture password that they built into Windows 8 oh, and yeah, into Windows RT. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat, you know, and it's, it's not perfect. You know, it does, you, you, you draw a little squiggle you know, not quite right and it'll lock you out or, you know, make you do it again. So can you, describe, still, can you describe how that works? Can you walk sure, us through? Um, you, you set a, a picture um, and then you draw a series of um, squiggles or shapes on top of the picture. You know, it might be tracing the eyebrows on a face or the smile on somebody's face. Uh, oh, I see. Or yep. something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do three unique marks and that's saved as a password. And then whenever you go to log into the system, it presents you with that picture. And then almost like the, the Android password that you were talking about, you know, you have to draw that pattern rather than remembering oh, a pin code see, that or a, is, yeah, a password. See, right. Indeed. So you might have a picture of a mountain range. Yeah. Instead of tracing the mountains, you might trace a snow line the or snow, a yeah, squiggle. Sure, yeah, sure. exactly. exactly. Or, or so a cloud or something like that. It's up to you to make it non-obvious. So it could be a completely obvious picture, but you could choose something in the picture which would, you know, be not quite so obvious to, to most people or maybe significant to you. There's some really smart techniques now being employed. And, uh, you know, even you mentioned captures. I mean, even them. It involves infuriating <laughs> it so that even people cannot understand what it's saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, That's the one um, that annoys me the most when they distort yeah. it so that it's even impossible for a person to go, is that supposed to be a M or is that yeah, an look, I, I, I and find, what yeah. M or yeah, is one, that an L or what the hell is that? The one, the one that I got yesterday and the one that was tripping me up so much was it was a, a, a two-part captcha with, you know, the traditional squiggly words, you know, can't read them at all. So you're sitting there refreshing it until you get a series that you can actually read, followed mm. by an image of numbers. So oh, yeah, like, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 And what they don't say is, you know, it says to, to type them in, type in both words, you know, in, in scare quotes. They don't say whether you're supposed to put a space between them or anything. So I sat there fumbling with it about you know, <laughs> 10 attempts to try to get the combination of it right. Yeah, I think they've, <laughs> they've really pushed captures to the limit now where it's getting even challenging for humans to, to enter them. Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I think they should just, yeah, they shouldn't take them any further than that because it, it's going to become a barrier eventually if, if they keep uh, oh, t- tweaking yeah. the difficulty up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's going to become impossible and it'll make captures pointless. Now, how about this new smartphone? And I think, you know, the reason I brought the story in is because if I remember correctly, Brett, you and I, or perhaps one of us at least, had suggested this very thing on this podcast ages ago, that someone should come up with a phone, because we were talking about the benefits of of the different types of... Of e-ink over, yeah. Yeah, of the different types of, you know, uh, LCD versus e-ink, and they each have their different benefits and weaknesses. 
And mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly, you know, we said, well, why can't they come up with one device with, with the two screens? And here we have it. We, we, we've heard an announcement that a company, I think it's a Russian company, is going to start or is plan, is it, they're in the planning stages and they hope to have such a device on sale in the second half of next year, 2013. It'll be interesting to see what it comes out like because Samsung's already done one. Have they actually done one? Oh, the uh, the the split um, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I kind of like because this one here, I think, as far as I understand, this yeah. Russian one is going to be one screen on the back, one screen on the front. Yeah. And to me, that's that's perfect. That's exactly how it should be. Well, yeah. it's it's kind of like the um the flip phones, which were a fad before um smartphones came along. What the where they'd have one. the tiny little screen. No, no, I'm not talking that. I mean, just regular, you know, clamshell phones would generally have the main screen inside the clamshell and they'd have a little screen outside oh, yes, the clamshell a, a which tells yeah. you the battery yeah. or the, the time or who that's was, right. yeah. who was yeah. calling and that sort of stuff. So that's what this one is, except, you know, one side is going to be the e-ink, which is going to display stuff like time and other other bits of information General, you know, relatively static sorts of information, latest updates, who's calling, that sort of stuff. Whereas the LCD side would be the, the smart touchscreen. But you know, if it's as big as the, the you know the uh, the LCD screen, that could mm-hmm. effectively be your ebook reader and your smartphone in one. Well, they did say on the specs that they were both screens were going to be four point three inches. There you go, Perfect. across. You know, so, yeah. so so do you do you uh, smartphone? It's, it's still a very small screen to read off of. Yeah, mm. that's true. But you know, this is early stages. I mean, you know, you could you could almost you could come up with a tablet like this, really, couldn't you? Uh, they already have. You can buy them from Kindle. <laughs> no, with the two screens. Well, no, not with the two screens. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Eating tablet. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but <laughs> you don't need one with both. Oh no, I think you do. No, I, I don't yeah. think you. do. What for? Bra- you you can't. You're not going to tell me you're going to browse the web or look at the MedService website using e-ink. No, but you'd have a different device for that. No, oh, this is what I'm saying. I mean, you can have the one tablet. Wouldn't it be? That's what I want. Uh, look, not it, really. Think of it. You're going to have something which is twice as heavy. Because it's in, my biggest complaint about the iPad is the fact that that thing weighs a ton. Uh, the screen is also it's a very nice screen, but it's not good for reading off of anywhere where you've got light. But the most annoying fa- factor of it is that the thing weighs a ton. Now, an e-ink, the things with the e-ink book, e-books, is that they're so light, so low power, so light, so versatile. Whereas you stick another LCD screen on that thing, you've got to bump up the power, it bumps up the battery consumption, it, it bumps up the bulk, it makes it heavier, and you start to push past the point of no return into a, this is no longer a nice usable device. It is much better to have the two devices, which independently do their job well, Mm. than to have one mushed together device, which does both jobs poorly. I really do think I would like such a device because... Here's a classic example, commuting on the train, right? If I was to take the train into work and I you know, live a, a good hour away or so, let's say, and I want to read something on, on the train, isn't it much better to read on, on e-ink? Now, why would I want two, yeah, two devices? If it's, if it's just for, you know, here and there, I just want it on, the, on that one device. Why not? No one else is enthused about this as me. Perhaps it's going to be a flop. I don't know. Analysts, you, you guys, look, the thing is, you're not far off what the analysts are saying because they're saying it's not going to take off. That's mm. In the Western, in the Western it'll market, it'll take off in certain parts of the world which like gimmicky phones. Mm, that's what they're saying. Uh, and in the rest of the world, it, it's not going to take off. That's what they're saying. That, and it is the first foray into phones from a company that is primarily for making modems and routers. Yeah, look, I'm not too worried about who this is from because what I think is that if it if it was to take off, I'm sure that all be doing it. Yes, Samsung would be doing it. Samsung H- HTC would it. be doing it. Apple, <laughs> Apple would be doing it. Well, I mean. <laughs> well, let's put this way. Amazon would be doing it if there was something there. Amazon would be doing it, but since they exactly. actually do make e-ink e- precisely, and yeah, Amazon would e- be Kindles, yeah. and they've got LCD Kindles. They don't yeah. have an e-ink and LCD Kindle yet. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll leave that story there. I was excited about. It. We'll leave it there. Something worth mentioning before we head into the New Zealand section of the uh, of the episode is the barcode co-inventor Norman Joseph Woodland dies at the age of 91 in the week just been. 
Whoa, he made it quite a long way, didn't he? Absolutely. Well past, well past the uh, average life expectancy. Mm. Now, the system was patented back in the US in 1952, and but I think it wasn't put to use until, what, 74? 1974, I think. Because I didn't have the laser technology to read it. But he came up with the idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the story goes, he came up with this idea because he was, he was sitting down and he put his hand into the sand and then brought it towards him and realized he had four lines. And he, and he thought, hang on a sec, we can make this like Morse code in the sense that you can have thin lines and thick lines. And before you know it, he's, he's come up with a, with a patent, and I, well, you know, an idea which is later patented for the barcode as we have it today. And I think the stats, uh, well, no one really knows for sure, but they reckon that I think every day a barcode like this is scanned five billion times. That wouldn't surprise me. It is. It was a brilliant invention, and it has still being used and still being expanded on. QR codes. QR codes are born of barcodes. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, but you know, even the, even the standard barcode that we have now, that you know, the two D barcode, yeah, is still uh, going strong. Oh, sorry, one, used one for D, so rather. many different things. One D barcode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ISBN codes on books, um, purchasing, catalog systems. um, Oh, everything, absolutely everything. Everything everything you can think of these days is a barcode. And with the advent of smartphones with cameras, you've got the ability to snap pictures and scan barcodes with your smartphone, having catalogs of everything that you own. You can use it for insurance purposes, use it for keeping track of DVDs, which is what I do. Can you use it to keep track of your children? <laughs> uh, if barcode them, you could tattoo them with a barcode. ID would be better for that. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I'm a chip under the skin, actually. That would, that would Unless, be... of course, they took to then wearing tinfoil, in which case you'd never know where they Ah, yeah, go. then <laughs> they'll disappear. All right, anyway, that was all we had for the international stories, but right after this, I want to come back and talk about the... The terrible, terrible, terrible telecom broadband outage that we had just recently. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, as you, you kind of missed it, if you're on telecom, you definitely would have noticed they had this outage, this broadband outage affecting 25,000 customers, one of which was moi. I was very oh, no. I was very annoyed about that and I even rang Vodafone and I said, "Right. What plans have you guys got?" Because I and actually I must admit this it wasn't just this one incident. I I haven't been happy since I moved to Telecom 6 months ago after leaving Telstra Clear. I I've had, you know, issue after issue, uh, minor micro outages uh, all the time and then this hit and I thought, "Right, well that that's it. I'm I'm out of here." So what anyway, well, what do you guys think? Well, what about this Telecom outage? 24 hours it was for me. I don't know what other customers experienced. Yeah, I've heard some some horror stories of, of a day or more outage with it. It was really annoying. I was supposed to be playing a, 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 um, a multiplayer game of Borderlands 2 with a bunch of guys, and one of them cut out partway through a game. <laughs> and we got text saying, like, my internet's gone. Yeah. It was highly annoying. And you had to go out and talk to real people. <laughs> well, he might have. <laughs> the rest of us didn't, but he might have. Did it affect you much? No, actually, strangely enough, I don't know. It might have been because we were in the middle of launching that website, but I actually didn't notice the the outage at all my way. And I am a telecom customer, so um, and rely on them pretty heavily. So, fortunately, either I I just got lucky, or it passed me by without noticing. So, oh well, yeah, well, but I, I, that was I think lucky. I might have just gotten lucky. But if they're offering compensation, though, I'll be happy to change my tune if that's <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm thinking I might just... <laughs> they are indeed offering compensation. It is. Well, have so... they announced it? They said they haven't ruled it out, but... Have, well, have they last mentioned... I saw, there was a thing for free calling. Oh, okay. For people yep. affected by the, the broadband outage. I like the way they do that. They give you stuff that doesn't cost them anything. Very smart. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what you do in business, isn't it? That's how it yeah. works how it works no very good uh, yeah shame about that outage uh, interestingly enough analysts are saying they don't think it's really going to hit telecom too hard you know they're not going to get people like me if you like uh, phoning Vodafone massive uh, yeah they, they won't yeah. get massive jumping ship if they if they onto it right. was much much better handled than the you know the XT outage 
yeah, the, the debacle for that. The XT outages were, were quite severe when that network first launched and the, the nodes going down on that. And that was, I think everyone remembers that. That was yeah. bad. This one was, what did they track it down to? I think it was software update. Software update yeah. two servers running that were supposed to be running load sharing and one of them failed. And so everything was running on one. And then they brought the other one back up. And then the one which had been bearing all the load suddenly fell over because of stress. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, we're all in IT and we know that you, you cannot have zero outages, uh, you know, unplanned outages. We know that. Uh, yeah, it's impossible. But, you know, it, it, sometimes you kind of do wonder. Sometimes you ponder whether they should have had maybe maybe a one or two more servers so that if one went down, they wouldn't have one which got overstressed. I think it's just testament to, to, to how much, you know, broadband and, and services like that are getting built into the fabric of everything that we do. You know, it's, yeah. it's becoming utility. It's, it's becoming something that we just take for granted yeah. until it's not there. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that you know, people in Christchurch after the earthquakes, when some of their basic services disappeared, certainly probably had a great appreciation for, you know, utility services. And, you know, it does sound like a, a bit of a first world problem to some degree when broadband goes out. But we do rely on it for so many key things and, mm-hmm. and not just consumer related things, too. So many things within government, the health sector. Yeah, um, you know, it, rely on these services being available. Um, it is a first world problem, but it's a first world problem that when it goes out, we become third world. Exactly, exactly. Because so much of our infrastructure relies on these first world technologies. Yeah, interestingly, and we built ourselves just, completely around those systems. Just, yeah. a, just a complete sidetrack. But you, you know, you mentioned third world. The other day, I have no idea why, but my brain just does this. I looked up the definition of third world. And according to the definition of third world, well, in terms of the, you know, well, there's a definition of first world and second world, and third world is classified as both the neutral countries and non-aligned countries. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, Switzerland is a neutral country and is therefore a third world country. Wow. Yeah. It, uh, it's but it's bit- also in the West, so it's still a Western power and the West is considered sure. first world. Yeah, but I just thought it, from a technical point of view, it, it, it's kind of strange how they how they uh, define this. But of course, mm. uh, you know, when people say third world, because a lot of third world countries are poor, but not all of them. Switzerland's a clear example of where that's an exception. Uh, yep. People tend to mean poor countries when they say third world, so it's almost got yeah. the second meaning, but it's not yeah. the it's not the technical meaning. Well, I, I'm I'm fascinated by the way that wireless technology is being deployed and used in, you know, so-called third world countries because yeah, exactly. it's almost Africa way more advanced than, yeah. than the services that we have when you think about it. They basically um, skipped a, a sort of a generation yeah, or two of technology, they have. haven't they? You know, yeah, yeah. They, they, no wires, no anything like that because they just, they didn't have the infrastructure for any of that yeah, sort of stuff. They've just and gone straight to wireless. Why dig things into the ground? You know, it's like, yeah. you know, who's going to solve that, you know, in, in our parlance, who's going to solve that last mile? kind of problem and of course it's all shifting over to radio it's all shifting over to 3g in their case and um mm. and the west is uh, lte rolling out and hopefully we'll begin to see that fairly soon so we'll have fiber backbone to the towers and then lte rolling out um to you know to replace that door-to-door service that we rely on and so long as it's not run by telecom new zealand we'll all be happy <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, on that note, I want to thank you both for, for <laughs> joining us. Or as long as they put in more backup. Yeah, all that, yeah. <laughs> on that note, I want to thank you both for joining us on the show. Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting. Always a pleasure. And Brian, thank you uh, once again for, for joining us uh, oh. on behalf of Pixelin. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. No, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. No, it's, the pleasure's ours. And this is, of course, the very last podcast for 2012 for the boys at Tech. We're going to take a small hiatus and come back uh, somewhere around mid-Jan, I believe. In the meantime, we're going to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and just go hard. Happy and, Hanukkah and, and, and other non-denominational yeah, holidays oh, yes, as well. yes, okay, let's be, yeah, absolutely. Let's be all-inclusive, why not? And, and of course, uh, <laughs> places that don't have any of that, happy, happy end of December. How's happy that? Happy vacation time. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, and go and indulge yourself and eat, eat lots of chocolate uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. All right, that's it from us. Signing off for this year. Thank you very much. Catch you again next year. Till then, take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
how do I say that actually? And I can't remember what I said. Did I say your name first? No. Yes. No. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, no. No. Yes. Well, so no. Pixel in there. No, you we'll didn't. There. But <laughs> there's differing accounts. This about, is go- this is going in the bloopers. How about Wellington Design Company? <laughs> and that's the other thing I should have warned you about. Be careful what you say, because some good stuff could end up in the in the bloopers. <laughs> So I'm going to have to ask this. Who came up with the Midnight Blue? Um, no one, no one, look, Brett, uh, no, no one wants to answer this, Brett. What do you, <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you notice I'm, that? I'm just about to say, Brian, can you answer that for yeah, half sure. of me too? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was joking, of course. Remember, you have to remember, guys, that I'm in the service industry, so I always defer to my client. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> no, very good. Well, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just going to pause the show for a second. I got a text message from Brett saying he's dropped off Skype and I didn't even notice. <laughs> Hang on, let's, let's go back to uh, where is it? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, goodness me. Sorry, I feel terrible. I got this text message. <laughs> just thinking, what? Why is he texting me out, out, out of band, you know? 